you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So here's the deal. Offering ourselves, every bit of us, as a living sacrifice is the most real and right, right way to respond to what God has shown us in his word. Does that make sense? Us offering ourselves to him is a response to what God shows us about himself in his word. It's, it's, like, it's like the grand finale in this rhythm is whenever we give our lives over to God. It's like, you know, rhythms kind of are cyclical, you know. It's like it builds up and then something happens and it builds up and then something happens. The, the finale of that rhythm is us yielding our lives to him as a sacrifice, a life totally given over to the one who has revealed himself to us. Now, I've, I've come to really appreciate over the last few weeks this definition of the concept of worship that I read in a book uh, but the author's name is Joseph R. Crowder, and it's called Scripture Guided Worship. And, or not Crowder, Crider. Uh, Crider says, and worship is like a rhythm, a God-initiated rhythm. He initiates the rhythm by revealing himself to his redeemed. The redeemed receive his revelation by faith and then respond to him, acknowledging his infinite glory and perfection through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that quote, in light of the passage of Romans 12, makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, and you might not see it at first, but if we break it down a little bit, we'll see that. Uh, Paul says, when he exhorts the Romans, says, I beseech ye brethren, and how does he do so? Anyone? By the mercies of God. Okay? It's not, I beseech you, brethren, by your ability to do things for, for God. That's not what he says. He says, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, all of this service in the latter end of the verse comes from that first part that says, by the mercies of God. You know, by the mercies of God, Paul's able to express and exhort the people in, in, uh, in the book of Romans, but also the people that he's writing to are able to present themselves because of the mercy of God in their lives. You know, we talked about in Sunday school how uh, that, that our life devoted to Jesus Christ is in spite of of what we do, like in spite of our flaws, in spite of our failures. We talked about how Peter... Um, if you remember the story, um, I can't remember the passage we were in, but there's, there, Jesus Christ has been crucified, he's resurrected, but they don't realize it, but they're out fishing, right? And they're out fishing and they catch no fishes, and then they see a man appear on the shore, and he says, um, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, okay? They do that, they throw it on the other side of the boat, and then they catch a, a, a so many fish that they can, can't even pull it into the boat. Okay, and then they're going and they're sitting down and Jesus, and we talked about how delicious the fish that he cooked must have been because if you're perfect, you've got to cook some good fish. Um, I mean, I'm getting hungry already. But they're sitting around the table and all those disciples who forsook Jesus and ran away and denied him and cursed and just, they went back to their old life of fishing. They're sitting around facing Jesus, the one that they forsook. And they're looking him in the eyes 
and, and they're expecting to be um, talked down to and berated and punished for their actions, but instead, he just asks them about their heart. He says, do you love me? Specifically to Peter. It's like, do you love me? It's like, then feed my sheep. He said, instead of, instead of banging them over the head with the hammer of truth or something, he says, do you love me? Okay, then go do things for me. Go serve me. Go live a life worthy of what I've done for you. And so when Paul writes, by the mercies of God, it's, it's by God's initiation and what follows, it, it, it's by God's initiation that what follows is made possible. Paul, Paul just says that um, they should present their bodies a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service. It was God that empowered Paul to write these words to the Romans and God who empowered the Romans to act upon Paul's exhortation. We have a definition to help us understand the concept of worship, kind of the, the rhythm that we talked about. Um, but before we proceed, let's, let's define just what the word worship means. The fact of the matter is that the Bible was not written in the English language. Do you realize that? Like, the people who wrote the Bible, they, English did not even exist at the time when people wrote the Bible, okay? And so whenever you go... Any, bilingual people that speak more than one language anyone there's one or two have you ever tried to translate something into another language and the word just it's not quite right you know like there, there's not a word that really expresses the sentiment behind a word but, but in the other language but um the fact uh the word worship in the english language is used for a handful of different words that the original writers wrote do you understand what I'm saying? Like the words that they wrote down wasn't the exact word. And, and it covers a lot of different things. Um, the meaning found in the words in the original language ranges from terms that reflect physical gestures like bowing down, serving, like ministering to, sacrifice, which means like ritual acts and, and living a sacrificial life, um, refer, worship as translated refers to things like corporate worship, Corporate gatherings where the body of Christ get together for religious services and even like community feasts and, and even individual worship. There are many more words than that are in this list where the English translation simply uses the word worship. Okay? So whenever we define the term worship, it's, it's a broad, it's a broad term. Um, the beautiful thing is that while we, while the meanings behind the word worship are broad and far reaching, they apply to the definition that we're using to define the concept of worship. You may think you're trying to narrow down what worship is. You know what? I think worship is a very broad term in and of itself. You know, um, in popular culture, they talk about worship, music, right? That's, that's kind of what we equate worship and music, but it's a lot bigger than worship, than, than just music, I mean, the singing and the music that we play. Worship is... I believe it should be a lifestyle, and as I'm um, trying to explain, it's a rhythm in our life that our relationship with Jesus Christ initiates that worship, and because we see God for who he is, we want to serve him. We want to um, tell others about him. We want to serve with the kids. We want to sing more. We want to sing in the car. We want to live a life that expresses how great that God is. Now, The question is, why does this matter? 
to you and me, okay? We can talk about, like, I, I probably spent way too much time trying to word this in a particular way when, other than just saying it to you guys, but the point is, like, why does all this things, that, why did I spend two pages of notes to this point to define both the concept of worship and the word worship itself? For myself and anyone else that's leading in corporate worship or even individuals having a private time of worship, it's important to understand this following statement. The moments that we think that we are somehow in control of the action of the Holy Spirit by any human actions is the moment that we've missed the very essence of worship. Does that make sense? The moment we think that we can, we can coerce God to do anything by our actions is the moment that we miss the whole, the, we, we miss the boat. You know, it's, we, we don't control things. Can I get an amen? <laughs> How many of you have kids? We don't control things, right? And you know what? God controls things. And it's only understanding that that we can truly have a time of worship and, I th- and honestly, I think that we should have times of worship 10 times more than we do in this building. Okay, it's, it's a life. It's a lifestyle. It's singing on the way to, to work or to the grocery store or just expressing God, God's love to someone in the grocery aisle. You know, that, that's what worship is. It's a lifestyle. And to follow up the, the statement that I said about us controlling the Holy Spirit, self-initiated worship is no more possible than self-initiated salvation. You, we, we cannot save ourselves. Guess what? Guess who made the first step in our salvation? It's not you raising a hand at an invitation or coming down the aisle or talking to the pastor or someone about being saved. It's, it's Jesus Christ coming down and laying down his life for us that was the initiation of our salvation. So here's another reason why proper understanding of Christian worship is critical. It's entirely possible, listen to this, it's entirely possible to worship and experience rather than the one who is worthy of our worship. Okay, now that, that, that I'm going to need to unpack a little bit. We can make an, an emotional experience um, a conditional response to the way we're worshiping instead of by God initiating this rhythm in our life. Does that make sense? I'm, that might have been too wordy. Let me, let, me, let me illustrate in my own life. So, I grew up in a very specific way of doing church. And a lot of us do. You know, that there's different traditions that men make, and there's nothing wrong with traditions. It's when, we talked about it in Sunday school, it's when traditions become the standard and not the truth. Is That's when, thing, when that's wrong. And so we did, we did I, I grew up on Southern Gospel music and choirs and four-part harmony and super like um, evangelistic piano playing and you know even kind of like high churchy even a little bit at times but still down home southern gospel it was weird but listen but uh, like I could tell you that there are some songs that we would play that tears would be welling up in my eye as soon as I heard the first few notes and I recognized what the song was now, the question is, had the message of the song really reached my heart, or was it a conditioned response to that particular song? I don't know. Maybe a little bit of both, okay? It could be a little bit more nuanced than that. But I remember a few years ago thinking, thinking this over, and I'm like, I, I need to break the habit a little bit. 
And so I began to listen to a different kind of genre of Christian music a lot more, and almost exclusively. And I, I, honestly, I didn't like it. You know, it's just kind of like, this, this isn't doing anything for me, you know? Um, but oh, like, and, and honestly, it took probably a good year and a half or two years of almost exclusively listening to kind of more mainstream uh, worship music and then kind of this, uh, you know, Keith Getty new hymn type thing, which is kind of similar to what I grew up with, but new. And it took me a couple years before that really started to minister to me, and I could get past my own condition response to, you know, the cathedral's quartet singing this one song or another, or this one group at our church that I love singing this song, or this particular hymn, to be able to really experience a time of worship outside of what I grew up with. Does that make sense? Are you following and so I, it's more important that God initiate our worship than some kind of condition response for this specific genre or this specific style or, you know, the lights have to be a certain way or, you know, you, you hear the drum beat or something or what, whatever the case may be. Um, it's important that we let God be the initiator of our worship and our time of worship. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that didn't help at all. That's why I like the microphone. I can back away from it. Um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture dealing with this topic, and I've preached on it here before, is found in John 4, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Are we all pretty familiar with that? Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, she points out to Jesus, making the story short, she points out to Jesus at one point, actually after he really digs in about her, her private lifestyle. She kind of changes the subject. And she's starting to point out the difference between the way the Jews worship and the way the Samaritans worship. You know, just kind of like, okay, don't talk about my sin. Let's, you know, talk about religion or something. Um, and Jesus responds to her, uh, I believe it's in verse 21, when he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and is now when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the Samaritans, they had a very specific way that they worshipped. You know, I believe they only followed like the first five books of the Bible, the, the law, and that was kind of their only Bible. And then the Jews, they had a lot more. They had the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs and all these things that they followed at that time. And so she was saying, like, you know, we worship this way and you worship that way. And Jesus said, guess what? It doesn't matter if you worship on the mount in Jerusalem or you, you worship on your mountain over here. I can't remember the name of it. You know, the, the people that worship, they have to worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, there, there has to be truth with worship. Worship isn't just some emotion. And I love what Pastor likes to say is that um, we don't want to stand on our feelings, but, he, but we should be able to feel what we stand on. You know, I, I, I ran a race yesterday where we crossed a river, and I could not see the, the, the bottom. And so you would think that you were going to step on something, and you sink 12 inches, and then you take another step thinking you're going to step 12 inches, but it was like, 14 inches higher, and so it's just like really unstable. It, it was nice to be able to see and feel where I'm walking, right? And, and there, there was an absolute truth about where the river was. 
but sometimes we can't see that, but it's nice to be able to feel what we're standing on. I don't know if that makes sense. It made sense to me. Um, But anyway, um, when Jesus was talking to this woman, the Samaritan woman, he calls out her method of worship saying that the location of worship isn't what's important. He invalidates what may have been a conditioned response fueled by her methods of worship. You know, she might have believed, like, I can only experience a time of closeness with God at this particular place. You know, I talked about how certain songs, you know, sometimes even going into a certain sanctuary or building can be kind of awe-inspiring and, and bring up some emotions, you know. Um, you're remembering, as like, hey, you know, I made a decision over on, on that side of the auditorium, or hey, I heard a message over at this campground or something, you know, and, and it can kind of be like holy ground in our mind, you know, but, but our worship needs to be fueled by truth and not just a conditioned response to a specific song or a specific location or a specific feeling. And I say this to say, do you ever wonder, and I hope you don't wonder, but do you ever wonder why we try to use a lot of scripture in the first part of the service? I try to use scripture every time, and honestly, there's some times where I ask pastors, like, I'm going to read a big portion, like, it's going to take some time, is that okay? And he's like, yeah, go for it, you know. Um, Because it's important, because God reveals himself very effectively through his word. Does that make sense? You know, if, if we want God to initiate our worship, well, I, could, I can't think of a better place to, to you, better means is by reading the scripture. This morning, we, we read out of Psalm 100 that talked about how great God was and how good his was, and it, I believe it talked about his mercy. And so whenever we, we see that, whenever we recognize that through his word, guess what? God says, hey, I'm amazing. Like, you should worship me. You know, I, I am worthy of worship, and that should be the initiation. And I, and I think for the past, I don't know, six months or so, I think that I've chosen to initiate every service with worship. And it wasn't always like a conscious decision, but I'm just like, hey, it makes sense. Let's, let's start with God's word and see what the Lord says about himself in Scripture. It's because... God reveals himself very effectively through his word. Our worship, whether service, singing, or any other manifestation, must follow God's initiation. Now, you may say, it's like, I worship, or I serve, or I do this out of a sense of duty. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I teach the kids, or I play the piano, or I lead, because that's the right thing to do. You think it's kind of, kind of self-initiated. But I, and I say that's awesome, but where did you find out that we're commanded to do these things? Did you just wake up one morning thinking, okay, I should, you know, I bet you the preacher was preaching how we need people to serve and the, the, the white is the harvest, but the laborers are few or something like that. And it's God's word that initiated that sense of duty in you, wasn't it? It wasn't on the inside of a bubblegum wrapper on a podcast, I doubt. Like, really? And if it was a podcast, I bet there was scripture involved and made you think about it. And so it's, it's God's initiation that should, should start every worship, every act of worship. And this is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian's life, by God revealing himself through his word. 
And at the same time, this is how one becomes a Christian to begin with. If you're not a Christian, you can become one today or at least take a step in that direction just by asking me or somebody else here um, how you can do that. Let me, walk, let me walk you through the basis. And it's all initiated by Scripture. First, the Bible clearly teaches that we can know that we can be Christians. We can know that we have an eternity settled in heaven. First John 5.13 talks about how these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible clearly states that we can know that. Next, why do we need to know this? Isn't everyone going to heaven? Romans 3.10 says otherwise. Uh, Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. And then a few verses later in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the reason that we need to, we, we need to know our destination because it's not, it's not a given that we're going to make it into heaven. And that sin separates us from God and from a relationship with him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from that relationship, that ability to worship. We're separated uh, by our sin. Um, Romans 5.8 talks about how uh, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is God, knowing that we were sinners, said, hey, I'm going to do something about it, and he showed his love. He, he, he displayed his love to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And if we go back to Romans 6.23, the second part of the verse talks about how the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So our sin separates us from God, but God offers a free gift to us. And, and that's uh, talked about in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says that, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, there's nothing that we can do to initiate worship, there's nothing we can do to initiate a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's his work that paid for us. And if you look in Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And verse 23 says, um, I'm sorry, 13 says, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know what? It's It's understanding that scripture or there's a number of other scriptures that can point out the exact same truth in the Bible that God revealing himself to us so that we can have a personal relationship with him. And if you're a believer already, guess what? It's God's word and God's truth that in him revealing himself to us that initiates that desire and longing to have a relationship with him and to worship him and to serve him. It's the way you become a Christian is the same way that a Christian truly worships God. The nature of God and the work of Jesus Christ are revealed to sinful people. The Holy Spirit convicts of that sin, and those sinful people respond to a wonderful and loving plan that's laid before them. Through this rhythm, this interaction, what happens is a sinful people are transformed into a relationship with God, and Christians are conformed to the image of Christ, resulting in God being glorified even more. If we look at Romans 12 one more time, um, in the second verse, I, I believe I have up there, it says, um, maybe I did, oh yeah, and be not conformed to this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When this rhythm of worship takes place, we aren't merely swept up in some emotional experience. We have the opportunity to be substantially transformed to be more like Christ. It's not you come to church, you sing some songs, you get some endorphins going, some emotions going, you know, you're, you're glad to see your family or friends or neighbors, and then you leave, and then you come off the mountain. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose is that you come, and you see the awesomeness and glory of his God as revealed through his word, and we go transformed to be different than when we came in to becoming a little bit closer to God, to become a little bit more um, in tune with his word, to become a little bit more knowledgeable about what he would have you to do and how he would have you live and how he would have you serve him. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing that when it comes to our corporate gathering, we can have a part not only in being individually transformed and changed into being more like Christ, but we can have a part in encouraging each other to do the same. Uh, Look at Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly. What did I say? The word of Christ? God's word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. You making that connection there? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing ourselves, one another, uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, when we come into this gathering, it's not just about us. Is it not? It, it's... We would like to receive a blessing, right? We would like to become more closer to God. But um, it's not just about us. We need to be exhorting and, and teaching and preaching, maybe not, you know, like up front, but preaching to each other every time we come into the church service. The, the teaching and admonishing or exhorting isn't solely on the shoulders of whoever's behind this piece of metal and wood or whoever's, you know, reading from a book in some class or teaching in some class or leading in prayer. The, the, that work is your work. If you're a believer, if, you've, if you are a Christian, it's your work to teach each other and to preach to each other, to exhort, to encourage, to pray for, and to... And to be a tool used by God to, that the whole body is conformed to the image of Christ. Does that make sense? You know, it's, it, we, we have such a consumeristic view of life today, you know, where I'm going to go to a movie, I'm going to pay my money, eat my popcorn, and have this experience and then leave. Or I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to buy this and leave, and it's transactional. Um, and we have that, that bleeds into the church service. I'm going to walk in the door. I'm going to shake some hands, sing some songs, put some money in the plate or not or whatever, and then go. Like that's, that's what we think about church. But that's not what Colossians 3 says. It says that we need to be teaching and admonishing one another um, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. That's, 
That's my exhortation to you this morning. I, I, I said all of this to get to this point. Um, it, it's important to understand the rhythm of worship. It's important to understand what, ri- what initiates worship and how worship comes about. But when you come to Whitehall Baptist Church, come with an attitude of building up and ministering to each other. That's the attitude that we should have. Um, don't focus only on what you can get from the Sunday gathering. Should we desire to get something? Yes. Like, I'm not disputing that. But listen, um, don't focus only on what you can get. Philippians 2.4 encourages this when it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Should we expect to be ministered to? Absolutely. But the beauty of the church body caring for itself is that when the majority of Christians are focused outwardly, everybody gets ministered to. You know, I, I, you know, I don't know what the statistics would be, but I bet you there's a percentage that if 60% or 80% or whatever have that attitude of ministering to everybody else, everybody's going to get ministered to by default. Does that make sense? Like there's a point to where if we start looking not inwardly at ourselves, but outwardly at the people that are sitting across the row or front or behind, guess what? Everybody, and guess what? The pastor needs ministered to also. Do you realize that? You know, sometimes it's that consumeristic mindset. Okay, preacher, give it to me. Give me the blessing. You know, give me the song or give me the whatever. But guess what? When's the last time you've gone to Pastor Kyle and said, hey, you know, I know you, work, you work a job besides doing this. You have three kids. You, you have all these different irons in the fire. You're visiting this person in the hospital. You're praying for us all the time. You're preparing week after week after week to preach to us. When's the last time you did something to encourage him? Or even the pastor's wife, for that matter. It takes a special person to be the pastor of some, or the, the wife of somebody that's a pastor, or that, that's involved in ministry. That was a whole side note. I didn't write any of that in here. Um, but it's true. The, the beauty, like I said this, the beauty of the church body, the beauty of the church body caring for itself is when the majority of Christians are focused outwardly, everybody is ministered to. When people aren't worried about having this kind of program or this kind of class or my needs being met, um, it's possible that more people are being helped and poured into, especially those doing the majority of the ministering. That didn't make sense to me as I read it, but I think you know what I meant. Um, Let me pull this together. If we're not focused on Okay, I want this class, or I want, and, and, and I, I love Pastor Kyle for this, he really wants to reach our kids, you know, and he's really pushing to have a wanna and all this stuff, and it takes people to do that, and, and, but guess what, there's some churches that don't have the staffing to do that, they don't have the volunteers to do that, and we're thankful for everyone that's involved in those, those things, but, um, even in a church that doesn't have the resources to do all the things for the kids, if everyone is focused on helping, then guess what? Everybody gets helped. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's give and you shall receive. You've heard that biblical, biblical principle. You help other people. Guess what? God will make sure that you're getting helped as well. Um, I think I've got to... Let's put up Colossians 3.16 one more time. And what I want to do... Uh, by means of closing, is let's, let's read this together. Okay, let's read it out loud. 
Uh, we'll just try to stay together. We, sometimes we do this well, sometimes we don't. But let's read together. Let the word of Christ dwell rich, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Amen. When we come to our corporate gathering of the church, may we strive to embody the spirit of Colossians 3.16, allowing God's word to dwell in us richly, and as a result, we minister to one another so that each one of us takes a small step to being more like Jesus. May may the, the truth of that scripture, that statement that I forgot to put up on the screen, be what drives us when we come together. Let's, let's encourage one another. Let's, let's use what God is doing in our hearts to encourage someone else. You know, we've been singing that song out of Psalm 42, I'll praise him again. And I said, I wanted, I wanted to choose this song, I wanted to use this song to give it to the church as something to take home with you. You know, let, why, 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 am I, why am I downcast? Why am I troubled within? Guess what? I've got hope in Jesus. It's a really simple song. It's the same words over and over again, and some people might turn their nose up at us. I pray that, that this statement would, would become a part of our church culture, that when we come to church, let's have that spirit of teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms. And, the, and it's not just in music. Psalms is the Bible, right? We sing some songs, but through God's word and through hymns and through spiritual songs so that, not that we just feel better about ourselves, so that we become more like Jesus. That's that, that's that sanctification that God's constantly working in the, in the lives of his redeemed is that we are becoming day by day a little bit closer to Jesus, understanding a little bit more what Jesus has for us so that, you know, we can minister to others. Let's go and bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for initiating a relationship with us. Lord, we had no way to know about you. We had no way to pull ourselves out of our sinful state. But you decided to send your Son, pay for that sin that we had in our lives and provide a means for us to know you. And Father, Lord, I pray that Whitehall Baptist Church would become the type of church that just takes advantage of the opportunity you've given to us to minister on your behalf. And Lord, I pray that every Sunday when we show up, Lord, we have in our minds that I would like to bless somebody today. I would like to encourage somebody today. I would like to pray for someone. I would like to share someone's burden in times of, of need and distress. And Father, Lord, I pray that through that, your glory would shine through and that um, we would become more like you in the process. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope that all made sense to you, but we'll, we'll go ahead and end like we usually do by singing a song. So let's go ahead and stand together.